James chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse number 9, James writes these words, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. When you are being, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Verse 16, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good, verse 17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens, he never changes or casts the shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to gather together corporately to worship you, King of kings, the Lord of lords. Lord, I am so thankful and I'm so grateful that as we declared in song this morning, as we heard in your word, you are for us and not against us. God, I know that there are a lot of changing things around us. Our circumstances seem to, seem to bombard us, causing fear, anxiety, and, and uncertainty in us. But God, we are so thankful that, that as we read and as we hear in your word, there is no changing in you. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are still on the throne. You are ruling and reigning. And we are here to honor you, to exalt you, to worship you. God, I pray that in these next few minutes together, help me to speak and declare your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity. Lord, help me to decrease so that you, God, would increase and be the focus of our time together today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. I, I jumped ahead. Sorry, Sarah. I, if you can go back to, I wanted to just give you guys a very quick, um, like one minute update. Uh, this is just a, a rendering of, of what the building uh, will look like, um, semi-look like from the outside. Uh, there's actually another section of it. It's kind of an L-shaped building, but um, Architect uh, has already worked on the plans. Plans have been submitted to the state. Um, and, and so here is just kind of an outside uh, rendering of what the building will look like. Um, and then if you want to go to the next screen, you may not be able to see everything here, but this is just kind of the general uh, floor plan. So there is, like I said, a, an L shape to that. If you want to see that more or you want to look into that more, um, if some of that means something to you, then, then I'll be glad to let you look at that. But just wanted to give you an update. We are still uh, moving through that process. I mentioned to you last week, August 9th. Uh, you may want to note that, jot that date down. Uh, August 9th, we will have a very special service on the church property uh, where the building is going to be built. It'll be a groundbreaking service. The service will actually probably be later um, late morning or early afternoon uh, that particular Sunday that will, that will then follow up with a groundbreaking ceremony and then follow up with a kind of a picnic for everybody uh, to join us. So we're looking forward to that. August 9th uh, is when we will, uh, we will not meet here at the community center that day. 
hopefully the weather, start praying now, <laughs> praying that, that the weather is, is perfect that day. Uh, like today, today's a beautiful day, so, so pray that we will have similar weather. Um, if it's hot, we can deal with that. Let's just pray that it doesn't rain, all right? Uh, so we will be meeting on that, the church property, uh, 1251 South Main Street, uh, just on the south side of town. Really looking forward to, to that day. Going to be a special service and, and then a groundbreaking that follows uh, follows that as well. So I just wanted to give you, uh, I kind of jumped ahead, but wanted to give you a, a quick glimpse uh, into what that's going to look like. Now, jumping back to James, um, we're gonna, I'm going to move through this again quickly this morning. Um, James, again, if you read through James, at, at first glance, it's going to appear that, that James is kind of jumping all over the place. As you kind of heard in my text, uh, in just these few verses, uh, James is, is talking about the poor, uh, the rich, and then he goes into this kind of discourse about uh, temptation, and then he jumps back into this section about um, our God who is the giver of good gifts. And so it seems like when you first read it, that James seems to, to kind of just have all of these random thoughts kind of going through his head at one time and just starting to pin everything without any organization. Now, um, I will say to you, I believe that all of this does kind of come together. I don't think that it's, it's discombobulated or disorganized like it appears. I think James has a message that he wanna shares with us. James, I wanna just remind you of a few things um, as we move through this text. James, again, uh, context is important, context is key. James is writing he is writing to displaced and dispersed Jewish Christians. If you remember in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, um, primarily the believers, they were gathering in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, many of them, they scattered. You will read that in Acts chapter 8, verse 2. They are scattered and they're pushed out of their hometown. They're, they're pushed outside of Jerusalem and they go to Judea. They go to Samaria. They go to other places outside of, outside of the city of Jerusalem. And now they are, uh, some of them are homeless. Some of them are without jobs. Some of them are in places that are very uncomfortable. They're unfamiliar to them. And so because of that, because of that condition, they are facing adversity, hardship, and persecution. We will see through James, based upon his text, that some of them were exploited by the rich. Some were facing religious persecution. Some were facing hardship that, that is hard to wrap our minds around. But what we saw last week is James, in the midst of the persecution, James is still encouraging and exhorting these believers to do very specific things. He said, we looked at last week, James very specifically said to these believers who were being persecuted, he said to them, I want you to consider it pure joy that you face trials of many kinds. How many of you this week, by the show of hands, considered your trial pure joy? Actually, don't, don't raise your hands, all right? I don't wanna see. But that's what James is exhorting his believers to do. Consider it pure joy, brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? We looked at it last week because the testing of your faith will develop perseverance and maturity and will help us to become more like Christ. And so James will exhort them, consider it pure joy. He will even say, if, if it's hard to understand the trial and the adversity that you are going through, James will say to these believers, he says very specifically, ask God for wisdom to help you discern and to know how to understand or how to walk through that trial or how to walk through that, that point of adversity. Because guess what? God, he is ready to give us that wisdom. He is a generous God. He does not wanna withhold anything from us. He is generous and ready to give. Just ask. Ask God for that wisdom and God will give us the wisdom to discern uh, the, the difficulties and the hardships and the trials that we walk through. But today, we're gonna see that he's gonna challenge these believers, these dispersed believers, to maintain a proper perspective in the midst 
of their adversity. How many of you in this room today, how many of you want to have a, a godly perspective in the midst of adversity, trial, and hardship? How many of you would agree that that's, that's what we want? We want a godly perspective. I, I don't want to look at my circumstances through my own lens. I want to look at my circumstances, my trials, my hardships, my adversity. I want to look at things through the lens that God will provide. But that's a difficult thing for, to, for us to do. Sometimes, uh, I think we, if we're honest, it's really hard for us to keep focus in, in the midst of adversity. Um, how many of you are familiar with the story all the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back uh, in the book of Exodus? There's this group of people called the Israelites. Um, how many of you guys, uh, kids and all, how many of you guys know the man named Moses? You're all familiar with Moses, all right? Moses was a leader that God had called to set the Israelites free, to lead them out of their Egyptian bondage and to take them into the promised land. And, and so what happens is after, after going through all of these, these plagues and going before Pharaoh time after time after time again, Moses finally gets permission to take the Israelites out of Egypt and he begins to lead them into the promised land. And what happens is this group of Israelites, several thousands of them, they're traveling, they're leaving the, the land of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea. Everybody say Red Sea with me. Okay, just making sure we're all still here. All right, all right. So they come to the Red Sea and all of a the sudden they see this large body of water in front of them and now the Egyptians are approaching them. The enemy is coming. And so this group of Israelites, they are facing this adversity, this hardship. They see the sea in front of them. They see the enemy behind them. And all of a the sudden they become fickle. They become um, uncertain. They're fearful. They're anxious. And they start complaining to Moses and say, Moses, why did you bring us out here into the wilderness only to die? What was the purpose of us coming out here? We, we had a much better life, the Israelites said in Egypt. At least we were being fed. At least we were semi being taken care of. And so you can see that sometimes it is hard for us to, to maintain our focus when we face adversity. The Israelites struggled with that. God will, as we know, God parts the Red Sea. They cross the sea and their enemy is destroyed. But today we're gonna talk about this godly perspective. How can we see things? And that's what I want us to hear this morning. How can we see things through God's lens, not our own? And I'm gonna talk I'm already talking quickly. I'm gonna talk probably even faster uh, this morning. So what does a godly perspective look like for the believer while facing trials of many kinds? Three things I wanna share with you this morning. Number one, the believer's self-evaluation must be done through a spiritual, not a material lens. Let me kind of unpack this for you. Let's talk about uh, James chapter one, beginning in verse nine. This is the message to the poor believer. Listen to what James says. He says, believers who are poor they have something to boast about for God has honored them. So what, what is James saying here to the poor believer, to the one who is being exploited by the rich, to the one who is facing this persecution? He says, you have something to boast about. Many who were displaced from their homeland, they were poor and they were often being exploited by the rich. Uh, some of these believers that, that, that James is referring to, they were likely being tempted to feel insignificant, to feel powerless because of their lack of physical wealth. The world would judge someone based on their wealth, their accumulation of stuff or status and position. I want you to hear this. This is very interesting. 90%, 90% of those in this particular culture, in this particular day and age, 90% of these believers or these individuals actually lived below 
live below the poverty line that we would deem as being wealthy or being poor. But James says to these believers in verse nine, he says, believers that are poor, you have something to boast about. Now, from a material perspective, it would appear as if they have nothing to boast about. They have no wealth. They have no possessions. They have nothing that, that is in their name. They're very poor. And, and, and so it appears that from a material perspective that there is nothing that they can actually boast about. But James says, you have something to be prideful about, to boast in. And so he explains this to them. What's very interesting is this word right here, um, Sorry, oh, no, that's good. This word right here, um, it says, you have something to boast about for God has honored them. Um, the word in the Greek is hoopsos, all right? Everybody say hoopsos, all right? You learned a Greek word today, all right? Hoopsos, if you remember anything at all, at least remember, that's, I don't know, it's a fun word to say, hoopsos. Um, I was thinking about it on my way here this morning and it has kind of a nice ring to it, all right? But that word hoopsos, it means, listen, it means exalted, or high position. So he says, poor believers, you have something to boast about for, for God has honored them or he has hoopsossed. That's probably not the proper way to use it, but he has hoopsossed them. He has exalted them or they have this high position. This word hoopsossed in the Greek, look where else it is used. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power, where? From heaven, from above, from, from on high, hoopsos. That is the word that is being used there. And then also in Ephesians chapter four, verse eight, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended where? To the heights or to the heavens. He led a crowd of captains and gave gifts to his people. So this, this word hoopsos was used to depict where the spirit came from and where, and it speaks of where Christ ascended to. Believers, listen, believers, he is saying to these poor believers, they, they should take pride in, we as believers, we should take pride in our exalted hoopsos, our exalted status in the spiritual realm as one, listen, as believers, as one seated with the heavenlies. In Christ, Look at these verses. There, there's several verses I'm gonna throw up on the screen. Um, I won't really comment on them, but I want you to, as believers, look at, look at the, 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 the um, position or the status we have being with Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter one, verse three. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, listen, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. This is what, this is what James says when he says to them, I want you to boast. Don't, don't boast in how much you have down here. Don't boast in your possessions. Don't, po don't boast in how much wisdom you have or, or how much you've accomplished. He says, boast because God has honored you, he has exalted you. Boast in the fact that we are in Christ. How many are thankful that we are in Christ and that we have something to boast about? I am so thankful because it doesn't matter how much I have or don't have. The reality is as believers, we can boast because we are in him. Romans chapter eight, verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Philippians 3.20, listen to what Paul says. He says, but we are, where, we are citizens where? Not here, just in America. We're not just citizens here on earth. We are citizens in heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. John, 1 John 3, verses one through three. Love this passage. See, 
How very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. That is what we are, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And so this is what James, he says, boast in your position, your exalted position in Christ. Don't boast in the material things. Boast in the spiritual things, the things that, that, that have eternal value and eternal significance. And then Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, I know about your suffering. Uh, John is writing to the seven churches, and to one of the churches he says this, I know about your suffering and your poverty. But listen to what he says, but you are rich. He's not talking about physical riches. He's not talking about their, their possessions. He says to them, these are poor individuals. He says, I know about your suffering. I know about your hardship. I know about your poverty, but you are rich. Why? Because you are in Christ. And so James, he's saying to the poor believer, we, we have to have this, this perspective that it's not about the, the material, the, the earthly, what's here on earth. It's about what we have in Christ, the eternal. So then what is the message to the rich person? Listen to what James says, James chapter one, verse 10. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. They, the rich, they were tempted to think too much of themselves because according to worldly standards, they would have been held in high esteem their wealth would equal success. Yet James warns these individuals not to take pride in their money or in their social position. Why? He says, he gives them, he said, it will fade away. It will disappear. It doesn't have eternal significance. They will fade away forever. But he says to the rich individual, humble yourselves. Take pride in or boast in your humble status with the one, Jesus Christ, who was despised and rejected. So then what is the message for us today? Whether it's to the rich, to the poor, what, what is James trying to communicate to us in the 21st century? Number one, our worldly status has no eternal value. I'm just here to tell you what we have here on this earth, money, riches, possessions, land, wealth, it has no eternal value. Just like James said to the rich person, it will one day fade away. When we meet him face to face, we're not gonna care about how many cars we had, how much money we had, how many positions I had, how many letters I had behind my name. All we're gonna care about when we get to heaven, when we meet him face to face, is we're gonna stand around the throne of God, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and we're gonna worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're not gonna have discussions about how many positions I had or how many accomplishments I achieved or how much money I had. Just like he said to the rich person, it will fade away. Our worldly status has no eternal value. You don't have to turn there. I just want to give you a glimpse, but Psalm 49, you can jot this down if you're a note taker. Psalm 49, I just want to read a few of these verses to you. Psalm 49, uh, listen to all this, all you people. Pay attention, everyone in the world, high and low, rich and poor. Listen, for my words are wise. My thoughts are filled with insight. I listen carefully to many proverbs and solve their riddles with inspiration from a heart. Why should I fear when trouble comes and enemies surround me? They trust in their wealth and boast of great riches, yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. Um, jumping down uh, to verse number 16, um, he says, so don't be dismayed. 
When the wicked grow rich and their homes become even more splendid for when they die, they take nothing with them. Their wealth will not follow them into the grave in this life. They consider themselves fortunate and are applauded for their success. Verse 19, but they will die like all before them and never again see the light of day. People who boast of their wealth don't understand. They will die just like the animals. Same message that James is is declaring. Our, Our wealth, our possessions, the earthly things, they will fade away. They have no eternal value or significance. Number two, we should take pride not in our worldly position, but in our high position. Everyone say hoop sauce again, ready? Hoop sauce, all right, you're still with me. Um, that's all you guys are gonna remember today, I think, is hoop sauce, but that's okay, that's okay, because if you remember that, that you, that you remember that what are we gonna boast in, not what I have down here. I'm not gonna take pride in, in my material possessions or what I've accomplished here. I'm gonna take pride that I'm a child of God, that, that I am an heir with Christ, a joint heir with him, and that one day we will all stand together around the throne and worship him. We're gonna take pride in our high position. Jeremiah 9, look at uh, verse, tw- uh, go back, verse 24. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things I, the Lord, have spoken. And in number three, What is the message for us today? Our identity with Christ is of greater value and concern. I'm here to tell you that our identity with him, that is what is of greatest value and concern. The culture that we are in today, I think even the message that we're hearing today is is there seems to be this constant comparison between the poor, the rich, the white, the black, the white collar, the blue collar, the Democrat, the Republican, but these labels carry no significant eternal value. Our identity is found in Christ. It's not found in, in what I have. It's not found in what I've accomplished. It's not found in who I know or don't know. It's not found by what position I take. My identity, our identity as believers is found in Christ. And one day we will gather around that throne together. Number two, I'm almost, let me just give you these last two quickly. The believer's focus should be on the eternal reward. Listen to what James said, James chapter one, verse 12. He says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive what? The crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, three things I wanna share with you this morning. Number one, the crown of life, it will motivate us to live a life of spiritual integrity. Listen to what this writer says. William Barclay says this, the Christian has a joy that no other man can have. The Christian has a royalty that other men have never realized. For however humble his earthly circumstances, he is nothing less than the child of God. The Christian has a victory which others cannot win, for he meets life and all its demands in the conquering power of the presence and the company of Jesus Christ. The, the crown of life, the eternal prize that we are all aiming for, that Paul talks about, he, he says we are to train ourselves in such a way to receive a crown, a crown that will what? That will last forever. We're not talking about um, a crown here on earth. I'm not talking about a trophy um, that I have in my room or a medal that I've received for completing a race. I'm talking about an eternal prize, a crown, the crown of righteousness that we will receive when we meet him face to face. The crown of life, number two, also allows us to endure present trials. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our present troubles, guess what? Our present troubles, this is so pertinent today, they are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So listen to what he says. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. 
Rather, what do we do? We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For things we see now will soon be gone, but things we cannot see will last forever. Paul is talking about having in a perspective, giving our eyes, our focus, our attention to things that are eternal. Things that we cannot see now, but, but we know based on the promises of scripture are true. And number three, the crown of life, it keeps in us. It keeps us in spot knowing present trials are temporary while, while the eternal reward is everlasting. How many are thankful this morning that our present trials, our adversity, our hardship, how many are thankful that those things are temporary and not forever? How many are thankful for that? Amen. All right, so he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Revelation 2 verse 10, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. John writes, he says, the devil, the devil will throw some of you into to prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, what does John say? He says to the churches, he says, I will give you the crown of life. Warren Wearsby, I love this, love this quote. He says this, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. What Warren Wearsby here is trying to declare to us is we need to have an eternal perspective. We need to not focus on the now, the present, the hardship, the adversity. We need to look not at, remember what I said last week, look not at the trial, but look through it beyond it to what God is wanting to do in us and through us. Is my focus eternally or is it worldly driven? Finally, number three, the believer must understand that God is not the author of temptation. Instead, he is the giver of good gifts. I'm not gonna read it again, but uh, the passage, we read it already in our opening text, James chapter one, verses 13 through 18. Let, let me just mention a few things and, and uh, I don't have time to really expand on each of these pieces, but I want you to hear, these are very important pieces that I want you to grasp this morning, things that you may wanna jot down. Number one, God, this is very important, God does not bring or allow temptation. Temptation, and, and, and James talks about this. Temptation, where does it come, come, come from? It comes from our own desires. Think about Eve in the garden, all the way back, Genesis chapter three. Remember, uh, there was one tree she was not allowed to eat from. Um, she, she could have everything else in the garden, but there was one particular tree that she could not take fruit from. That God said, everything is yours, but this one, don't touch, stay away from it. The serpent, Satan, the devil, came along and talking with Eve, uh, he said, did God really say that? Is that really what God said? Did he say not to eat from this particular tree? Is that true? You're not gonna die, the serpent said. And so all of a sudden, this, this tree, this fruit that was off limits became what? Desirable to Eve. That delicious looking fruit. The, the bait on the hook enticed her and, and drug her away. One writer said this, for all the wars of Greeks and barbarians between themselves or against each other are sprung from one source, desire. The desire for money or glory or pleasure. These it is that bring disaster to the human race. God does not bring or allow temptation. Temptation comes from our own desires, our own sinful desires. First, first Peter chapter two, verse 11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war. Listen to what Peter says, that wage war against your soul. Desire will entice us and drag us away. 
what does God do? God does, we talked about this last week, God does bring or allow trials. Why? To test or strengthen our faith. What did he do for Abraham? Genesis chapter 22, verse one, what was he doing? He, he tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, you know, the one that you had in your old age, the one that I promised to you, the one that you were gonna have many descendants through, that son, Isaac, I want you to take him. I want you to go up to that mountain and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. That was not God allowing or bringing temptation to Abraham. That was God testing him and allowing his faith to be strengthened, to become strong. Because when he trusted God, what, it, what happened for Abraham? Abraham learned that particular day when he took Isaac and he took the wood and they marched up the mountain. He looked at his servants. He said, we're gonna go up and we're gonna worship the Lord. When he got up there, he was about ready to offer his son as a sacrifice. In that moment, Abraham learned that God was his what? His provider. He learned that God was providing for his every needs. Trials, this is, I want you to hear this. Trials are meant to be endured while temptation is meant to be avoided or resisted. Later on in James, he will say, resist the devil and he will flee. But how can we avoid or resist temptation, especially when facing trials that bring adversity, hardship, and many challenges? I want you to stand with me. Don't tune me out just yet because this last point that I have, I think is probably the most important thing I'm gonna say this morning. The final part of this text in James chapter one really hints at the secret of keeping a godly perspective, even when going through moments of adversity. Keep in mind again, James, he's writing to dispersed Jewish Christians. They've been, they've been pushed out of their home. They're facing adversity. They're being exploited by the rich. Um, they're being religiously persecuted and, and they're in unfamiliar territory. So James is gonna say to this group of people. First of all, remember, God does not tempt you. Temptation comes from your own sinful desires, but God will, will allow a trial to come to develop your, your faith and your perseverance so that you can become more like him and learn what it means to trust him. The final part of this text, it hints at the secret of keeping this godly perspective. We have to, first of all, take seriously the judgment of God. James 1.15 these desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Number two, and this is what I want you to hear this morning, we have to be motivated. How are we gonna keep a godly perspective? We have to be motivated by the goodness of God. I love this verse. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. God is good, and guess what? He desires what is best for his children. He is the giver of good gifts. His gifts are consistently good. The creator God is the one who supplies all of these gifts. And, and my favorite part of this passage we see here in verse 17, it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. He is the one. Guess what? God, our creator, he created all the lights. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and he puts them into place every single night. He calls them out by name and, and puts them exactly where they need to be. But guess what? The, the light, sometimes there is a little bit of shifting. The, the, the sun or the moon or, or the stars, they might move just a little bit, but the one who created them all, though they move, though they're shifting, they're turning, the one who created them all, there is no variation. That The Greek word that speaks of God changing not speaks. There is no variation. Distinguishes God from 
the luminaries, what he created. Though stable, they are still subject to change. But I want you to hear this. God does not change. Every good and perfect gift cometh down to us from God our Father who created. He created the luminaries. He created the lights. He, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. How many are thankful this morning that our God does not change? (laughs) I, I think that's pertinent to us today. Even when the circumstances around us are changing daily by the second, by the hour, guess what? God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the giver of good gifts. He wants what's best for you, his children, because he loves us and he wants to give us those good gifts. Finally, we have to embrace the salvation of God, the new birth. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Two comments I want to make. First of all, God is the source of this new birth or salvation. He makes us new creatures. And the word of truth is the agent of the new birth. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. We're gonna, we're gonna end by singing this song. We sang it last week during our worship set. We're gonna close it during the altar time. What I wanted you to do this morning, how I want you to respond to this message. Eyes closed, heads bowed. How many here this morning, just by a quick raising up of your hand, would say, I want a godly perspective? How many here would just say, I want a godly perspective. I want to see my circumstances, not through my own lens, not through my own eyes, but I want to see things as God sees them. I think that's all of us here this morning. Guess what? God is the giver of good gifts. He tells us to ask for wisdom and he is ready to give it. And so let's just end this morning. Let's just sing this song together. Good, good father. And let's declare how good our father is. And let's just worship him together this morning.